0: Well, I'm so glad to get to be with you today, and uh, I'm Dave, my my wife Claire, raise your hand, and then our oldest daughter Lauren is right there next to Claire. Our young ones are back in the kids' stuff, and if I didn't get a chance to talk with you before the service, or even if I did, I'd love to chat with you more after. I'll be hanging out around the front, but I'm so glad to get to be with you, and it's been such a great journey uh, getting to know your pastor, Pastor Tom, and and Linda, you guys are blessed to have a, a great pastor. And it's been awesome just the, the journey of our relationship together and just getting to know your your staff here. God's given you guys an incredible team. Pastor Tom and Linda and, and uh, Pastor John and Cindy and Pastor James and Sarah and, and Nate and Courtney, sorry. And uh, it's been awesome getting to know those guys. And, and I'm just so excited about the prospect of God bringing our two churches together for, for his glory and, and to make greater impact for his kingdom in our city. And so I'm just thrilled to be with you today. A few weeks ago at Life Church, we're, we're going through the book of Acts at, at Life Church. And a few weeks ago, we, we were in Acts chapter 4, and, and I t- spoke about unity there. And I'm going to bring a message that's a little bit different, but, but kind of similar to you guys today. And, and the reason is, is a few reasons. One reason is I believe that there's nothing more important for a church. Than unity. And that of all the defining characteristics of the things that make for a great church, there, there's, there's really nothing more important than unity because really all of the other things that are required for a great church go away if, if unity's not there. And, and so unity is a defining characteristic of, of a great church. And, and as, as we're on this journey together and we have this opportunity, this possibility for a tangible expression. Uh, of the unity and the body of Christ, I I thought it would be great for us just to look at what the scripture has to say about it. So if you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. At Life Church, our teenagers a number of years ago began this habit and youth group that they carried over into the main service. Of the first time the scriptures are open to people, cheer for the scriptures. And, uh, and so you say, open your Bible, and then, the, and then people cheer. It's a lot of the youth, but now some of the adults have taken on the habit. And, and when I feel like being nice to the guest preacher, I warn him. I say, hey, just let you know, the first time you open, because, you know, you, you say, open your Bibles, and people, like, shout at you, and it kind of can scare you first time. Well, well, I didn't tell Pastor Tom, and so... Uh, So this morning, I imagine he was a little caught off guard when all these people began screaming at him when he says, open the Bible. And so I didn't give him that heads up. I thought we'd let him experience that for himself. Acts 4 and verse 32. Here's what it says. It says, now the full number of those who believed now, now we know that on the day of Pentecost, about 3,000 people came to Christ. Now, we're not for sure if that's 3,000 people or just 3,000 men. It could have been as many as 10,000 people. We read a couple chapters later that, uh, that people were, were coming to Christ daily, and, 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 and then we see that it comes to 5,000 people, and so, so there's thousands of believers. And, and it says, and the full number of those who believed were of, get this, one heart and soul. There was this incredible unity. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. You know that you're feeling unity when you feel like you can borrow someone's stuff. You know what I'm saying? The only thing better than having your own boat is having a friend with a boat. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and so that no one's claiming anything as their own here. Look at verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Verse 34, and There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each one as he had Need. I want to share with you how do, how do we get unity? What are some of our sources of unity inside the church, inside the body of Christ? Here's one one is great challenge. It was early in the, in the, in the same chapter, earlier we see that, that Peter and John had, had, had healed a guy, and, and then that healing led to the preaching of the gospel. And, and then that, that preaching of the gospel and people's belief led to some persecution. They were arrested. They were ordered to stop preaching. They said that we're not going to. And, and then they were beaten and they were threatened. And so they're experiencing this persecution for really the first time. And, and in fact, look, look here at verse 27. So they're, they're praying in response to this persecution. And it says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus Whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. And so there are these people that have come against. There are these governmental leaders. There are these religious leaders. They've come against the preaching of the gospel. They're experiencing persecution for really the first time. And he says, now look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Nothing produces unity in the same way as great challenge. You know, so, so they're experiencing this persecution. And, and so the reality is, is our brothers and sisters in, in places like Korea, uh, North Korea, and, and, and in much of the Muslim world and in China, that they have this incredible unity as, as with one another in the body of Christ because nothing makes you feel connected to someone as, as knowing that, that we're in this for the sake of the gospel and people want to kill us for it. So the thing is, you might be a little bit irritating. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a little bit irritating. All right. But here's the deal. If there's people that come in this room right now, all right, come back. You can stop saying it to your neighbor. We got the message out there. They know it. But, some, but a group of people come in this room, and they say, hey, how many of you guys love Jesus? And you stand up, and they say, how many of you guys love Jesus enough to die for that? And you stay standing. Suddenly, that irritating thing about your brother or sister in Jesus becomes oh so very, very small. And so they're experiencing this great challenge of persecution. They're also experiencing the great challenge of poverty. We, we see here, and, and that's this passage, how they were, they were sharing their stuff. What had happened is people from all over the, the known world, Jewish people from all over the known world had come into Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit shows up, Peter's preaching, and then 3,000 people come to Christ. And it's this great moment, and the, the church as we know it is birthed. And these people from all over these different places say, wow, God's doing something here. There's, there's something special that God's doing right here, and this is now my brother and my sister, and, and I can't imagine leaving these people and this place and, and going back to my own home, and so what happened is, is these people find themselves, with no, many of them, far from their home, far from their job, and so there's this great poverty that they're experiencing, and so they begin to share their things. See, there's this unity that comes when we experience challenge together. I've never been in the armed forces, but I know people that have and, and, and had the chance to talk with, with World War II vets, and, and, and they, they talk about the camaraderie that was formed in, in those foxholes together. There is a bond that comes in the midst of great challenge. So one of the sources of our unity is this great challenge. Another one is the filling of the Holy Spirit. Look here at verse 31. So they're experiencing this persecution. They're praying for boldness in the midst of the persecution. Look here at verse 31. It says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. See, see, we, what we know as we read in, in Ephesians chapter 5, is, it says, do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Debauchery is a big fancy word for it. it. It makes you act stupid. Don't get drunk. It makes you act stupid. If you don't know if that's true, you just got to listen to country music, and you know, it'll tell you. You get drunk, you're going to do some stupid stuff. It says, do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, if you drink enough wine, that wine begins to control you. And if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is controlling you. And then it goes on to give us evidence of what that looks like in our life. And, and one thing it looks like is it affects all of our relationships. It goes on and says, and mutually submit one to another. See, see when, I, when I'm walking in the filling of the Holy Spirit, and you're walking in the filling of the Holy Spirit. And we're both being controlled by the same Spirit. There's this unity that comes. There's this connection that comes. And I have this ability that I don't have in my flesh. That, that I, don't, I have this ability that says, I don't have to get my own way all the time. And you have this ability which you don't have in your flesh. But empowered by the Holy Spirit to say, I don't have to get my own way all the time. And there's this mutual submission which creates this unity so it's no surprise that we see that the believers are praying the holy spirit shows up in power shakes the building it says and they're filled with the holy spirit and then the next thing it says is it says that they're all in one mind and one heart this unity that comes from the filling of the holy spirit there's also unity that comes with living on mission look at verse 29 It says, and and now look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, it's gotta be noted here, that that they're experiencing this threat for their life. The one that they're following was just nailed to a tree. Now they're being threatened that similar things are gonna happen to them and the focus of their prayer isn't, Lord, take away the persecution. Which is kind of our instinct, right? God, take away the persecution. Make the government friendly. Make the government see things our way. But, But instead they say, God, would you give us boldness in the midst of the persecution? To continue to speak your word with all boldness and look at verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your Holy Spirit servant, Jesus. And, then look, and when they had prayed, the place was taken, skip to the end of verse 31. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. Look here at verse 33. And with great power, the apostles we're giving their testimony to the uh, to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, so they're, exp- they're 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 preaching the gospel. They're living on mission. So, see, here's the thing: when I recognize the reality that there are five billion people on the planet that, that do not know Jesus, and when I think about the reality that there are one billion people on the planet that have never even heard the name of Jesus. When I think about the reality that there are 400,000 people in our Reno, Tahoe, Carson City, Sparks area that do not claim to know Jesus, and that those 5 billion, that 1 billion, and those 400,000 people are all a heartbeat away from a Christless eternity. And when I think about this, this, this mission that Jesus had, to, to seek and to save the lost, and, and that Jesus has given us, his church, his followers, this same mandate, to seek and to save the lost, to join him in this mission. And that these people around me, in, in my church and in these other churches, that, 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 that other followers of Jesus, are, are, that we're on this mission together, and that when I think about that, Five billion people, a heartbeat away from a a Christless eternity. At that point, all of the little petty things that might irritate me about my brother or sister go away, and and all of those small disagreements we have begin to seem where where before they seemed kind of small, or maybe in my mind even a little bit large. But but in comparison to five billion people, a heartbeat away from a Christless eternity, all, all of a sudden those things seem so very very small. The great challenge brings unity. The filling of the Holy Spirit brings unity. Keeping our hearts and our minds focused on the mission that Jesus has given us to make disciples brings unity. The Bible uses a few different word pictures to describe Jesus' church, and they all point to unity. Well, you know, It uses the word picture of, of the family of God. One of the great things about kind of more of an old school church, that you see in a lot of country churches or more traditional churches, is, is, is the use of the term brother and sister. Any, any of you folks grow up in a, in a church like that? Where you got Brother Tom and Sister Sally And, 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 and part of it, looking back, feels a little it Almost feels a little cheesy just to do that all the time But at the same time, there's something awesome about it There's this r- r- reminder that, that when I say to Cliff, Brother Cliff When I say that, or, or Brother James Or Sister Jenny there's this reminder that you really are my brother and you really are my sister and we really are in this family together. It's a picture of our unity. Another picture that you wouldn't even think would really mean this, but it means this maybe in the biggest way, is the picture of the bride. Is that one of the pictures of Jesus' church is the bride of Christ. And the idea that we all Christians from all different local churches, from all different places around the world throughout all time, that that we being many come together to form this one bride. It's a picture of unity. The Bible talks about how how we are living stones. And and that left to ourselves is like, here's a brick there and a brick there and a brick. next time someone says, you're dumb as a brick, you say, that's what the Bible says. That's right. And, And you say, thank you, sir. And so, um, Let's laugh together. Let's have some joy in the Lord, all right? And so far too many Christians take themselves too seriously and God not seriously enough. Amen? And, and so, but the Bible, so left to ourselves we're a brick here and a brick here and a brick here, but the Bible says that what Jesus is doing is, is bringing us together like living stones to build something special. It's a picture of unity. The, the idea of the body of Christ, how every single one of us are pieces of the body, and some people are fingers, and some people are nose, and some people. Well, you don't want to talk about what some people are, but but that we are all these different pieces that come together to form the body of Christ. It, it's a picture of unity. So, what what happens when a body attacks itself? It dies. We're talking about cancer. Or we're talking about infection. Last fall, I. Had a surgery which led to a serious infection. Led me in the hospital for, for, for two weeks. It was terrible. Really the first time I'd ever really been sick. And this, it was so weird, this idea that there's something inside of my body attacking my body. And, and this idea that, that that's what happens in, in so many churches and, and, is that there's parts of the body at war with other parts of the body. It just doesn't make any sense at all because we have this unity together. And so many things that divide people in local churches are just so small and so petty. The year was 1917. Russian Orthodox Church bishops were having a convocation. They were having a meeting, and they they began to have this heated debate. This incredible division broke out among them. While at the same time, a few doors down the street, another meeting was going on the Bolsheviks were gathering together to plot the overthrow of the czar, to start a revolution, to begin what we would know later as communism. You wanna know what those Russian Orthodox bishops were having this great fight about? They were debating whether the candles should be 18 inches or 22 inches long. How, how many times have we as the church of Jesus uh, allowed small things to become big things while, while the world around us is in great turmoil without Jesus? Let me share with you a few signs of our unity. Here's the first one. One is a sense of harmony. Look at verse 32. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. So, so it, it just kind Of felt that way. Look here at verse 33. It says, And great grace at the end of verse 33, and great grace was upon them all. There, there was that, that word grace, kind of carries with the idea of the favor of God. And so there was this, they're of one heart and one mind, and, and, and sometimes you can just kind of feel that. You can just kind of sense it. There's this sense of harmony. You, you can sometimes walk into a church. And no one needs to tell you anything that's going on. But, but sometimes you, you can just walk in and you can sense that, man, this place, these people are united. These people love each other. And sometimes you can have the opposite experience where you can walk in and you can just feel there, there's some division here. There's not a unity here. And then later on people will tell you, yeah, there's this thing going on in the church and these people don't like these people and these people don't like these people. You can just sometimes feel it. There's this sense of harmony Acts one fourteen talks about the believers being all together in one accord. Here's another sign of unity. Preferring others above yourselves. Philippians chapter 2 and, and verse 2 you know, the Apostle Paul says, and let this same mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus, this idea of that, that, that he preferred others over himself. It says, look not only to your own personal interests, but also to the interests of others, considering others of higher regard than yourselves. And so there's this thing that happens in unity, where, where it says that, that, that I value you, and, and that, that, that you value me, and, and that, that I'm going to to, to put your needs, desires, and wants uh, above my own and that you're gonna do the same. And there's this preferring one another that happens. We also see it in the context of meeting needs in the body. Look here at, at 32. It says, the full number of those who believed, one heart, one mind. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. Look at verse 34. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. We see this idea that there's these people from all over the, the known world who found themselves essentially homeless and jobless because they were far from home. And, but the church just said, hey, you're, you're my brother, and I'm not going to let you starve. And you're my sister, and I'm not going to let you have have nowhere to stay and 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 so i've got some some resources and you need some resources and so i'm i'm going to meet those needs that you've got and that's that's what happens in unity that's what happens in a family that that's what a body does If, if 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 my right arm was to decide that it if it had this ability and it doesn't but if it did if it had the ability to suck all the nutrients away from the rest of my body so that the rest of me shrivels up and I have this giant right bicep like I'm, an Arnold, like I'm on steroids. And so that would be a bad deal. The rest of me would begin to shrivel up. It, would, it wouldn't even be good for, for this right arm. It would be terrible for, for my whole self. And, and that, when we recognize we're, we're body, we're family, we're this common bride, there's this unity, then it looks like meeting needs in the body. That might look like financial needs that might look like service needs. See, the thing is, if, if maybe you're in a situation where you say, you know what, I, I, don't, have any, I don't have any children that, that need to be taught about Jesus on a Sunday morning. Maybe, maybe your kids are grown, maybe you've never had kids or haven't had kids yet. And so you say, well, I, I don't have any children that, that are in need of being taught about Jesus. So I'm not gonna involve myself there because I, it doesn't apply to me. Well, the thing is, when I recognize family, when I recognize body, when I recognize that God's putting us together to build something special, at at that point, it just just makes sense to to meet needs. It it makes sense to do those kinds of things. Share with you a little bit about the seriousness of unity. Look at John chapter 17. John chapter 17, we catch Jesus praying soon before he'd go to the cross. Jesus could have prayed about anything, but let's look at what he prays about. John 17 and verse 20. Here's what it says. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all, get this, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So here's what Jesus is saying. Get this, this is huge. Jesus is saying here, clearly, that a part of the reason that there are five billion people on the verge of a Christless eternity is because we as his larger church have not lived in unity. Five billion people. What does he say? He says that they may be one as we're one, and me and you, you and them. And then it says, why? So that the world may believe that you've sent me. That's big. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me. Now, now I just want you to get, now, now, if Jesus says one thing, I mean, it's God. We should totally catch on to that. But if Jesus says something twice, now he's not saying this for the benefit of the Father. He's praying to the Father, but he and the Father are one, and the Father doesn't need him to go into this in all kinds of detail. He's saying it for our benefit. Jesus knows me enough that if he says it once, I'm probably going to miss it. And Jesus knows that like Forrest Gump, I am not a very smart man, and that he needs to say it twice. But Jesus here is going three times, three times on this one unity thing. He says, the glory you've given me, I've given to them that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become, get this, perfectly one. And then Jesus goes on to say, and in case you didn't catch on to that, you guys not being one is gonna cause people to have a Christless eternity, He says that again, too. Here it goes. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So so here's, so, so Jesus is praying for this. He prays for this three different ways in three different moments. And twice he says, just in case you didn't think this is a big deal, this Factor will be determinative on your ability to fulfill the mission that I came for and that I've given you to seek and to save the lost. That's Jesus saying this is a big, big deal. Let me show you one more thing. Jesus died to make us one. Look here at Ephesians 2. Let me show this to you. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 13. Now here's the context. There are these Jewish Christians and these Gentile Christians and they're not getting along. And they're saying, we're so different. We're so different. We we have these customs and we have this culture. And they're saying, we have these customs and we have this culture. And and they're saying, we're 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 not one. And and here's what Paul says. Look at verse 13. It says, but now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off, Paul says, you're right. Before you each met Jesus, you had very little in common. Amen. You, were, <laughs> amen. you were Jewish, you were Jew, you had very little in common. He says, you were far off. But you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what Paul's saying about what Jesus has done. He's saying that that Jesus didn't just die so that you could have your sins forgiven, although he did that. And Jesus didn't just die so that you could go to heaven when you die, although he did that. But, But in fact, Jesus died on the cross in part to make you a part of a family, his family, and to create this unity, this oneness. So here's what that means. That means that when I disregard the unity of the body of Christ, when I do things to damage the unity of the body of Christ, get this, what I'm in effect doing is I'm disregarding the work of Jesus on the cross. Much in the same way where, where Paul talks about how when you take communion in an unworthy manner, you're, you're sinning against the body and blood of Jesus. I, I, I think that there's a, that we could make this correlation. That when I do things to damage the unity of the body of Christ, whether that's in, in, in my local church or the broader church, whatever it is, that, that when I do that, there's this sense in which I'm sinning against the work of Jesus on the cross, that, 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 in, that in doing so, in shedding his blood to make us one, to bring us together, that I'm. It's, it's a big deal. It's a big, big deal. This unity thing should, should be no surprise. We, we see it, it, it's a theme through the scripture. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. What, 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 is, what does Jesus do? He creates a man and a woman, he brings them together in marriage, and says, Now the two shall be. One. This it's kind of this unity thing's a, a, a theme in the scripture. Share with you a couple last things and we're done. What is the scope of our unity? Unity is primarily lived out in the local body. The primary place that we get to live out this unity is inside of our, our local church. And, and that's where we get to really live life together. That's where we get to really know one another Rick Warren one time said that in every small group there's that person that's a little bit irritating who is that extra grace required person and if you can't spot that person in your small group it means it's you (laughs) And and the reason that God places them there or that God placed you in that group so that we can learn to love and, and so it's primarily in our local body that, that we get to, to live this out but it is also it's also lived out in the citywide church which has been one of the coolest things about our, our journey with Life Church and the Vineyard I remember about a year ago might have been two years ago my, my, my sense of time is off but a lady in our church was hosting a, a ladies' Bible study over at, at Triad Plastics, and it had grown, and and they were worshiping a little more loudly than was helpful in a business environment, and uh, and so then she was she was praying about where where could that she move that Bible study to, and and then she was at his word, and she was talking to a lady not not Linda but another lady there who who said, well, you should talk to Pastor Tom at the at the Vineyard, and maybe he w- would let you ladies meet there, and so then. She ended up running into Pastor Tom at an event, a concert or something. And Pastor Tom said, we'd love to have you. Well, well this lady, Christy, was kind of nervous about asking me about, about our lady's Bible study meeting at another church. Like maybe I'd be against it or whatever. And so she comes in one day. She sets up this formal meeting. And she's like, I need to talk to you about something. And I was like, well, what is, what is it? And so she comes in, and she's all nervous. And she's like, would it be okay if we met at the vineyard? And I was like, sure, that'd be awesome. That would be great. So we've had our, our ladies have been having a Bible study here for, for almost two years. And, and then when, when Pastor Tom called me, gosh, probably five, six months ago, and said, hey, we're doing vacation Bible school. And we did it last year, and it was awesome. But the whole time we did it, we thought, what if there were more kids here? Well, what if we could have a bigger impact. Wouldn't that be even more awesome? And so he said, do, do you want to do vacation Bible school together? Because we have this building, and you guys don't have a building yet. Do you, do you want to do it together? And we said, sure, that would be awesome. And, and, and kind of out of some of those things have led to kind of some of the other things we're talking about for the future. But this idea of, of citywide unity, it was awesome being here Friday night with people from churches from all over our city, and Pastor Tom leading us in a time of praying for the churches. In our city, So our, our unity is primarily lived out in the local body, but it's also citywide, but it goes even beyond that. It goes, his, there's a spirit of unity that is both historic and global. And that in this miraculous sense that I can't fully wrap my head around, that, 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 that we are fully connected to and one with, with every Christian on the globe, I'm going to Kenya next month. And, uh, a- a- and here's the reality. I- I'm going to meet people there who don't speak my language. And I'm going to pe- meet people there who do not have the same color skin that I do. And I'm going to meet people there that, that live in a dwelling smaller than my laundry room. And I'm going to meet people there who who could could carry all of their belongings in a small bag. And I'm going to meet people there that I have far more in common with than my neighbor across the street that doesn't know Jesus. There's this unity that's global, and there's this unity that's historic, that makes us part of something far larger than than what we think about, that that, that we are one. There's this spirit of unity with, with every Christian for 2,000 years back, and every Christian that will ever be born, there's this unity that makes us a part of something so much bigger. It's the spirit of unity. It's global and historic. My favorite thing about the song that Nate sang, and he sang it really, really well, really love your worship team. But that song, my favorite line, is, is it says, we're one, but we're not the same. And and what to me what that little line encapsulates is it encapsulates the idea of unity in diversity. Because here's the reality. Life church and the vineyard church, we're about 95% the same. But there's a little handful of little areas of emphasis or style where we're a little different. Or application. But but here's what we're saying that on this unification journey, we're saying that there is far more that unites us than divides us. And sure, there's some diversity. And I don't know about you, but if you ever spend a lot of time with someone just like you, number one, you see that you're a little bit irritating. You're like, wow, is that what I seem like when I do that? Because it's not cool when he does it but it also just makes life boring, doesn't it? And and so there is some diversity, which just makes things more fun. But at the end of the day, there's one Father that we pray to. At the end of the day, there's one Savior that we worship. And at the end of the day, there's one Spirit who dwells inside of us. And and at the end of the day, there's, there's the same mission and mandate that God's given you to make disciples God's given us at life church that same mission and that same mandate and at the end of the day the same heaven that you're going to spend eternity in and that you look forward to is the same one that we look forward to and that there's so many things that one after another after another cry out screaming we are one and the reality is, if we kept our two locations and we kept our two names, we'd still be one. We already are. Just as we are with Hope Church, just as we are with Jesus Christ Spirit-filled, just as we are with RCF. But in coming together, we have an opportunity to visibly and publicly and tangibly demonstrate and remind ourselves and tell our community Jesus has made us one a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done a visitor went to visit the and go to mental institution a place where they keep the criminally insane he walks into this area where there 100 inmates and only three guards. And the guy says to to the warden, he says, do you ever fear that these hundred criminally insane inmates, very dangerous, will come together, unite, and overthrow you? The warden looked at the visitor and he smiled and he said, no. Because lunatics Never unite. And for far too long and far too many places, we as Christians have been a bunch of lunatics with a lost and dying world around us saying, oh, we want the candles this high. You want the candles this high. Let's fight about it. You want the color this color. We want the carpet this color. Let's fight about it. And it's like, what in the world are we thinking? Hey, thanks for letting me talk to you. Let me pray. Lord, we love you. And God, we're grateful. Lord, that you died in our place, rose from the dead, took the punishment that we deserve so that we could have our sins forgiven so that we could become your sons and daughters, so that we could have the gift of your Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, and that you would make us a part of a family to make us one. God, I thank you for the Vineyard Church. Lord, all that you have done here over the years. Lord, lives that have been changed, people that have grown up in you, marriages that have been restored, people that have received physical and emotional healing. And God, we're grateful for all that you've done at Life Church in these last seven and a half years. And God, we have a great heart of expectation or that that our dreams of what you might do in us and through us in our future they really do seem bigger than our memories. And for that we're grateful. Lord, we ask you to make us one. In Jesus' name, amen.